My mom went into labor with my little brother, just as Mount Spur was erupting over Anchorage. I was five. It was September, and the sky was thick with ash. I could ball it up in my hands like it was snow. My dad had been in Seattle on a business trip and couldn't get back. All flights had been grounded. And I remember coloring in one room and watching my mom in the other, leaning against the countertop for support, making phone call after phone call. And eventually she turned to me and said, Aaron, we got to get to the car. And I was all about it. But there was a problem. I had seriously broken my leg in a really dumb trampoline accident. And I had a cast that extended from my hip down to my toe. And I couldn't walk. So my mom came up behind me to help fit the crutches into my armpits. But she misjudged the size of her belly. And saddling up to me, knocked me right onto the ground. So there we were, one pregnant woman in active labor, one handicapped kindergartner laying sprawled out on the floor. And it might help you to visualize this scene if I told you also that I had chicken pox. (laughs) But we did it. By some miracle of my scooting and kind of fingernail crawling my way across the floor, which nicely paced my mom's contractions as we walked out of the house, we made it to the car. She took me to a friend's house. I watched movies for a couple days. My dad even made it back to town. He came to pick me up to meet my brother for the first time, just right over at Regional Hospital. And I remember hobbling into that hospital room, and everyone I loved was in there. And there he was this little blonde kitten of a human being. His eyes hadn't even opened yet. I loudly pronounced that I would be the best big sister ever. Cameras flashed. There was so much joy in that room. His name was David, my little brother. Now that story, the story of David's birth, is the only truly happy memory I have to share of him. Yeah, you laugh now. David is severely multiply disabled. It's been over 20 years, and we still don't have a hard diagnosis. It's been over 20 years, and he still can't talk. He can't dress himself. He can't go to the bathroom on his own. And he's violent. Living with David was marked by vicious, unprovoked attacks. He would hit me, kick me, pinch me, bite me, pull my hair out in chunks. I remember one time my mom was about to pull something hot out of the oven and asked me to move David out of the way. And I went just to guide him out of the kitchen, and he turned his head and bit me on the arm. But he didn't let go. He clamped down with his teeth, and I screamed and tried to fight him away. My mom screamed and tried to pull him off, but he only clamped down harder. When he finally did let go, I had a huge flap of skin just hanging off of my arm. I was bleeding everywhere, and his mouth was covered in my blood. He was only five. Those were still his baby teeth. It didn't take very long for him to grow to six feet and 200 pounds. I had to take a class on how to sedate and restrain a full-grown man before I'd even bought my first bra. My parents tried everything they could to help him, but something in David's brain had just failed. Doctor after doctor from here to Texas threw up their hands and said, I am so sorry, I just don't know. And the pillars of my family slowly collapsed around those gaps in David's neurons. Moving, switching schools, divorce. We all trudged through this grief that no one could voice. Grief for the David that we would never, ever have. Because there's a rule you all know. You don't speak ill of a person with a disability. 
They can't help it. Anything negative you say about them is only a reflection on yourself. So for the most part, I accepted David as my life. When he would attack me, I'd run to my friend's house across the street, pretend that all my bruises were from falling. He would break my things and rip my books, and I would just run to my room, close the door, put on my headphones, and try to drown out the near constant sounds of his shrieking and grunting. Many of my friends didn't even know I had a little brother. I was afraid I would talk about him and sound intolerant or ungrateful. Years passed this way, and eventually it came time for me to apply to college. I wrote each of my admissions essays about him, how he was my greatest challenge, but he taught me these amazing life lessons, and I was a better person because of him. And I know that right now, you are all judging me for exploiting a bad situation. But I'm not worried, because we've all done it. The real problem with these essays was that I didn't believe them. David hadn't made me a better person. I was frustrated and angry. I felt lonely and cheated, and I couldn't wait to get away from him. When I finally did leave for college, it took a long time to realize that I didn't have to orbit around his little planet anymore. I didn't have to live in this chronic state of fight or flight. For the first time, I could think about other things. But I needed to finance this journey of self-exploration, so I advertised the only skill that I knew I had, which was caring for special needs kids. And that's when I met Riley and Bailey, two little girls with a severely autistic older brother. I was initially hired by their mom just to help out occasionally around the house, but before long I was taken into the folds of their family. I watched Riley and Bailey grow from angel-faced little toddlers into beautiful little women. I loved them like sisters. And I saw in them, having a disabled brother, I saw in them so many of the things that I could recognize in myself, but had never acknowledged. This immense pressure to excel, an aversion to acting out, and a complete inability when it came to talking frankly about how their brother made them feel. Sometimes Riley and Bailey's brother would injure them pretty seriously, a lot in the way that David would do to me. And when they cried, they felt it could only be for the physical pain of what he had done. But the emotional pain, the pain of being abused in your own home, by an aggressor who can't help it and who will never change. Well, that pain was choked out by stigma. And I tried to tell Riley and Bailey that they could feel whatever they needed to feel. It didn't make them a bad person or a bad sister. And in my head, I was trying to convince myself of the same thing. It sucks having a sibling with a disability. That's it, that's the reality. A lot of things suck in this world, and this isn't even near the top of the list, but no one will let you say it. It's hard, and it hurts, and it's unfair. And everybody's just going to look straight through you to your sibling or expect you to be perfect to compensate for them. Riley and Bailey showed me that the path we walk, although it is often overlooked, is a very, very difficult one. And to describe it accurately, you can't always be politically correct. But it was like because David had this label of disability, I wouldn't even let myself feel what any normal sister would feel toward any other brother. You get mad. You have regrets. You wish they would be different. But I took those things and I ran so hard. I put oceans between me and David, only to go in a perfect circle. Here I am, back in our hometown. 
And my parents have started talking to me about taking custody of David when they're gone. And that really scares me. But I can see now that my escape from David, however brief it was, did give me some perspective. In spite of my college admissions essays, he really has made me, forced me to be a more open and empathetic and resilient person. And I am truly, truly grateful. But that doesn't mean that I wouldn't trade it all to have had a brother who loved me.